everybody. Monday, June 8th, 949 4749. Boom. I am in New Jersey. Pat is in South Jersey and hates the countdown. Boom. And Grayson, Grayson is on the West Coast. Grayson, how are you? Hey, Paul Van Wagner, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing great, man. It's good to, uh, good to hear from you. Let's get right into it. Paticus Finch has written us a haiku, which I still don't know how to do. It's like 757-575, some syllable deal. But Pat, what do we got, uh, what do we got lined up here? It's first grade, SpongeBob. Everyone knows how to write a haiku poem. <laughs> Come on. Did, 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 All right. Did Bill say Roten? I think that's what he said. Dude, Sons Bill. of English. Sons, Sons of first grade English. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I got to start taking my fish oil again in the morning. <laughs> when we uh, when we get to those dog days of summer, I'm thinking like right before camp starts where really nothing's going on. We got to have a whole segment on where we teach Billy Ray how to write a haiku poem. This poem right here was submitted. I submitted this a couple seconds ago, actually. And uh, it's brought to you by the Main Street Farm. The Main Street Pharmacy. Jeremy Counts. Head on down to the Main Street Pharmacy. Where is it? It's Main Street. Read a book. Main Street. Go into Main Street Pharmacy. They got all the goods for your COVID-19 necessities. What are they going to do? They're going to greet you with a smile. They're going to answer any questions that you may have. If you need a prescription filled, if you want to go uh, get something out of the vending machine or the uh, the Coke machine, you know, you, you want a pack of gum or you want anything that you can get at a pharmacy, they got you covered. Jeremy Counts, I tell you, man, there's few people in this Blacksburg community, the New River Valley community, that care about Hokies and care about Blacksburg residents as much as Jeremy counts. So please, if you find yourself in Blacksburg, just go in and say hi. Jeremy's a great guy. But anywho, it's time for the haiku. (laughs) This haiku was uh, written in inspiration of last night's big victory over the Tennessee Volunteers and Coach Gus Duggerton. Boo-hoo Rocky Top. Joe Rogers just scored again rose bowl champions fantastic pat i gotta i gotta say before we get into breaking down this game um and i'm not saying this facetiously i don't even know if i'm using that right i'm not saying this like jokingly last night was the best night on twitter that there has been in a long time People talking about sports, people joking. You know, Norm Wood was getting crushed by our guy, uh, Big Cat. It was just, it was, it, it felt normal for an hour last night. It really did, and it was, uh, it was a breath of fresh air. So, shout out to Barstool for doing that. It was a really great way of bringing everybody together and um, bringing us our first national champion, which is with championship, which is just massive. Um, Grayson, we're gonna kick it over to you for where did we watch. Where did we take this in? Guys, we played college football yesterday. The Hokies, the Hokies played college football yesterday, won a national championship in the Rose Bowl. It's a dream come true. So where did I watch? You know what? This reminded me that uh, we're not out of the woods yet. I did not watch this game at Jockster Dailies. Oh, Here's oh, big sad. Jockster. Big, big shout out to Jockster Dailies, as Billy Ray would say. Uh, no, I actually watched it from the comfort of my home. I was cooking some dinner. Uh, hashtag Skinny Grayson, a little chicken. Okay. 
some Ooh. chicken and some rice. You know Ooh. what's good. So, uh, yeah, rice. just comfort of my kitchen watching this go down, watching us whoop that ass. So it was great. Bill, where'd you watch? So, <laughs> so my brother got home from a fishing trip uh, on Monday, bursts into my room, 7 o'clock, and he's like, yo, Pranos, throw it on right now. And I go, look, man, I got plans tonight. Virginia Tech is playing the national championship. And he's like, what are you talking about? There are no sports, idiot. And I was like, no, dude, like Barstool is doing this whole thing. And I try to explain it to him. And towards the end of it, like this dude stripped down to his underoos about to take a shower. He's extremely sunburned. And he goes, so you're telling me this guy, Fat Cat, is streaming a grown man, streaming himself, playing video games, and you're going to watch it up here on the TV. And I was like, yes. So I sat in my room, listened to my brother complain. At halftime, we went down, sung Mama Happy Birthday, got her some sponge cake, and uh, that's where I took it in, right in Westwood, New Jersey. Pat, what about yourself? I uh, I was cracking up because there were uh, there were some folks on the Twitter machine who were like, you know, this isn't funny. People are taking this seriously, like blah blah blah. It's like, man, this was this is one of the greatest nights of all in quarantine. I can't believe okay, boomer. Would, I can't believe people would not think this is the greatest thing that ever happened. Um, this is just, you know, a great spotlight opportunity for Virginia Tech here. Uh, over 100,000 people watched the live stream on Twitch. I bet a lot of you have never been on Twitch until last night. I, uh, I watched the game virtually. I was, uh, I don't know if you guys saw me in the, uh, in the second row of the, uh, the end zone of the Rose Bowl, but uh, I was there and that was great. No, uh, I was, I was on my back deck streaming it uh, from uh, my house and fancy. Great. A, a great evening, nice Sunday evening. Had a nice, uh, nice Stella uh, accompanying Ooh. me, and my dad was sitting over at the table, and he was like, "Hey, man, what's the score?" He kept asking me for score <laughs> updates, as if. And uh, <laughs> as and, if uh, we had the live, t- we had the live tweet thread going as well, which was uh, what quite entertaining. But uh, it was it was great to to kind of have football back. And if I'm not mistaken, Pat, uh, your sister Kathleen was cooking up some some s'mores. Did I see that correctly? Some delicious s'mores. Got to get that uh, recipe. She said the crunch is key. So I definitely got to crunch is Kathleen. key. Crunch is key when the Milo's flaming. Sandlot, one of my favorite <laughs> movies. So, y'all, the, the final score of the game last night, we were cooking some burgers. It was 49 to 29, Hokies dub over the Tennessee Volunteers. The co almost got the uh, almost got the fifty burger. Almost got the fifty burger. wasn't wasn't quite there yet. Didn't get that animal style. That's a West Coast thing for those of y'all who don't know. Uh, so overrated. So overrated. So overrated. Anyway, co MVPs of the game for the Hokies. Running back Joe Rogers, my man, number thirty eight. Stud, 38 special, and then defensive back Joshua Osborne completely stole the show. Stud. Completely stole the show for the Hokies and broke the hearts of the Rocky Top faithful everywhere. So, y'all, we're going to make this just like any given game day in the fall. You know how we go, boys. It's been a long time since we've done something like this. You know how we go. Pride, joy, and foo crew. Pat, kick us off, baby. Let's go. All right, so the uh, the Pride Award here, this is the Defense Award, and it's going to go to none other than Joshua Osborne. Joshua Osborne, did he have four or five picks? I, I feel like every single time you would turn around, uh, Caleb Presley was throwing another interception. He threw uh, six total interceptions for those keeping score at home. But Joshua Osborne, LPD, DBU, baby. 
Uh, Billy Ray, who gets the uh, the Joy Award? Joy, for first-time listeners, long-time listeners, just a reminder, the Joy Award is the special teams. And you know what? Uh, great job kicking us off, Pat. You know who did a great job kicking off all night long? And he had to kick the ball a ton. Divine Diablo, number 17, kicking off the ball. Um, hot, straight, and normal all game, kicking him into the end zone, making Duggerton take a knee. Uh, and look, he was using a lot of leg. There was a lot of kicks to be had. Tech was putting up a lot of points. So shout out to Divine Diablo or whatever other uh, randomized name EA Sports EA Sports came up with uh, on that uh, on that given day. Grace? Foo Crew is for the offensive player of the game. And this one, guys, it's got to be Joe. It's got to no be question. our boy Joe Rogers, number 38, that 38 special. Had, what, some odd 200, 250 yards yesterday oh, on the ground? I mean, it just – unreal and he joins the likes of hokey greats like kevin jones david wilson darren evans ryan williams and sam rogers as a hokey backfield legend and let's not forget even john yetzi pointed this out joe rogers was a two-star recruit two stars two stars on rivals.com and now he's on his way to being the first overall pick I'm sorry, man. You're going to have to play for the Browns. Sorry about that, uh, sorry about that <laughs> Joe Rogers. So after the game, fun fact, our friends over at Tech Sideline asked Josh Osborne if he planned on returning to Blacksburg next season. Josh Osborne, and I quote, said, I would be honored to follow in the footsteps of 757 pioneers Bruce Smith and Michael Vick and go number one overall, but I just want to enjoy this moment. There will be plenty of time to make that decision. Guys, do we think that Osborne's coming back next season? Man, I, look, I, I got to tell you, it's our first national championship in school history. I'm really just worried about, you know, enjoying this, soaking it up, and um, just taking it as, a, as an incredible victory. We'll have to see, though. It's a big-time decision for him. I know his defensive coordinator is uh, is accepting another position at another school. I saw that on the coaching carousel this evening, so I would not be surprised if uh, if Mr. Osborne declares for the NFL draft, and that's fine. Another defensive back from Virginia Tech in the draft that is fine by me. I'm sure he'll be a, uh, a first rounder. Guys, it was great. It was a complete dream come true. We watched the Hokies play for not only the national championship, but Bill and Pat. I know you guys have both visited me out here in California. I've taken you both to the Rose Bowl. I've told both of you guys one day I want to watch the Hokies play in the Rose Bowl. You're not my dad. And it happened. So there you go. We're national champs. By the way, speaking of national champs and the Rose Bowl, sunsaturday.com. Guys, where can you get your official Rose Bowl Virginia Tech National Champions merchandise? You can get it at sonsofsaturday.com. The link is out. We have a collection, black T-shirts, black long sleeves. I know Bryce Chalkley loves him some long sleeves. Had to make sure that we got those off the press. And we got white T-shirts as well. So we have the merch. It is all there. Shout out to Alex Jones for doing a beautiful job on uh, the design there. Other than that, though, I do want to talk about one last angle. Um, It actually bridges from real life to not real life. Last night, uh, I really want to tip my cap to Diablo fan account and some of the other Virginia Tech Twitter accounts who did a really good job um, just kind of capsulating the moment. Uh, it was a great hour and a half. You had uh, over 100,000 eyeballs on, on quote-unquote Virginia Tech. And you know, a lot of people, man, like that's what kids do. Kids watch Twitch. There's nothing really else to do. I was a little, just being, just being honest, I was a little disappointed. I thought it was a missed opportunity from – 
um, from a PR standpoint to take advantage huge of the missed opportunity. Yeah, it was a huge missed opportunity. There could have been more publicity about it and leaning into it. And, you know, there you're going to get your fans that are, you know, why are you concerned with this? Why are you concerned with that? But it's definitely something that we could have done. Pat, you have something to add to that? I mean, Diablo fan account, like just go ahead and give him a follow and look at all the content he puts out. It, it, it really surprises me that he has not been offered even just say a social media internship position within Hokie Sports or within Hokies FB because uh, he absolutely puts out just the most incredible content, relatable content. Everyone wants to see what Diablo fan account is tweeting about after the end of these events and, uh, you know, whose mentions is he trolling or anything like that in a, in a playful way. And, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think it was a uh, missed opportunity by at Hokies FB. All I'm going to say is at Hokies FB, if you're going to tag Barstool Big Cat, the guy putting on the show, <laughs> get the right at. It's not that hard. All you got to go is go to the search bar. <laughs> Come we on. Did, we did make a valiant effort at the end of the night, but, again, um, you know, we've – we're going to call it how we see it. Virginia Tech's been doing a great job with their media as of late, but uh, I thought this was a tremendous opportunity um, to put out some top-notch content. But the graphic was cool with him packing his bags and stuff, but I'd love if, if there's another opportunity like this. Hopefully there isn't. Hopefully the pandemic uh, – we don't have pandemic video games for much longer. But uh, if we're back in the National Barstool Championship and we got 100,000 eyeballs waiting, get a couple graphics ready. Let's put those bad boys out. Uh, Grayson, snap back to reality. Oop, there goes gravity. Bring us back to Sons of Reality. What do we got? (laughs) All right, Slim Shady. Sons of Let's Be Realistic here, y'all. Virginia Tech is currently ranked 13th in the ACC when it comes to our 2021 recruiting class. And uh, by the way, in case you didn't know, there are 14 teams in the ACC. The only team who sits behind the Hokies are the Syracuse Orange. Look, at the end of the day, we can sit here and say, wait until signing day, all we want. But 13 out of 14, at this point, it's not our standard. It's not good. It's not acceptable. And I think we should, I mean, we should have a better class as it stands. And I think if you don't think that, that's a little bit of an issue. But Pat, I know... You're Mr. Optimism. You get it. I want you to play devil's advocate here. What's the flip side? Um, I'm definitely going to lead lead this saying that every Hokie fan has the 110% right to be frustrated right now, having the 51st ranked class in America. I mean, that's that's towards the, the doldrums of the Power Five. And, I mean, we're a lot better than – uh, the rest of the ACC and should be better than, than them at recruiting as well. A couple things. I know that there's a, a large contingent of people who are losing hope in this class of 2021. And they're saying, well, I thought 2021 was supposed to be the class, the class that changes the program, you know, bringing in all these Texas kids and, uh, you know, potentially making a splash in the DMV and um, recruiting Virginia as well. Yes. That was supposed to happen. Can it still happen? Can it still be the program-changing class? I'm not too confident in that. However, I do think there is still some potential. There is so much time left, first of all. 
We've talked about this before. There's articles all over the internet about how this recruiting cycle is going to be different than any recruiting cycle ever because of how many decommitments are going to occur because players are not going to be able to take their visits until late in the cycle. I also want to talk about COVID-19 and how that royally screwed up our approach to the 2021 class because we had Texas guys who wanted to play at Virginia Tech whether it was Davis or Neville or Landon Watson or even Zach Evans, I know these guys are rumored or uh, we're going to be on campus at spring game. Who knows? They could have all four um, or a whole contingent of them and a whole contingent of East Coast Hokies could have left uh, spring game weekend committed to Virginia Tech. That we will never know. And all we can do is speculate, but that's in the past and COVID-19 I will say it probably has messed up Virginia Tech's approach more than a lot of other schools because we were going after this hotbed in Texas and we couldn't get these kids on campus so they couldn't come and make an impact and have that face-to-face relationship with the coaching staff, this, that, and the other, whatever. The fact of the matter is we haven't taken advantage of those DMV Virginia recruits. That being said, taking a look at our current class I do think uh, this group of nine players has some special players uh, involved. And I think that uh, we are going to hear some good news here towards the end of June. And I even look at our 2020 schedule and our 2020 roster and say, look at all this opportunity because we have a favorable schedule. We have our first or second best roster in the last 10 years. I'll debate anyone about that. At least first, second or third best roster in the last 10 years and we have a favorable schedule. So completely understand we have the right to be frustrated. We have the right to expect, expect more. We have the right to be upset. But the fat lady has not uh, started to warm up yet. And uh, there is a lot of time. And, and just wait until you hear Paul, Paul Alexander talk about this, uh, this guy, Danny Shell, in a couple minutes. Because that might get you a little bit excited about this 2021 class as well. Pat, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that that winning in 2020 is paramount. I mean, winning is everything. That's how you get kids to commit to your program. And I think that in 2020, Virginia Tech has a real shot at winning 10 win, having a 10-win season. We have the talent to make it happen. Let's make it happen. And that's how you get kids in the door. COVID's messed us up here, but 2020, if the season happens, however it happens, Hokie's got to win. That's all I'm going to say. That's a fact. I'm going to tie you guys together here. And, and, and I think, you know, not to, not to get too prophetic here, but I think this is kind of what I think is the, my favorite part about having us here is, is we're going to get two angles. Grayson's gonna, Grayson has his angle, Pat has his angle, and I have mine. And uh, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think it is unacceptable to be at the bottom of the ACC. It's not. It's it, it's it's not okay. Uh, it is true that it's it's very difficult to uh, if you're going to move away from your home state and then a pandemic comes and you're counting on kids to come here when they're not able to see campus and not able to see Virginia Tech. That obviously puts you in a bind. So here's what has to happen. This has to change. There are some huge names still floating out there. We'd love to get Hollifield's brother in the boat, McMillan, Naquan Brown, Landon Watson. There are still some names out there and relationships that we have. We need to find. We need need Calvin Gilliam. Need, need Kevin him. Gilliam. Need him. And again, 
I think uh, it's not good. It needs to change. And I don't know what the answers are, but there are coaches and people on staff that are paid to find the answers. And I'm not judging this class until signing day. So as of right now, June 8th, 10, 20 and 58 seconds. This class is not great, but hopefully we can turn it around, climb the boards and, uh, and find a way to get it done. So other than that, Pat, we're about to turn it over to Coach Alexander. Give the folks a little bit of a teaser here. So this was a, a really fun interview with Coach Paul Alexander, a, uh, an NFL veteran. 36 years he spent with the NFL and uh, within the NFL and major college football, uh, whether it was Michigan or the Jets or the Cowboys or the Bengals. Uh, pro football focus in 2017, ranked his offensive line number one statistically in pass protection over the 11-year life of their measure. And in 2017, he was uh, recognized by Sports Illustrated as the top offensive line coach in the business. They put him on the dream team coaching staff. And then uh, he's also a renaissance man. He has written several books, uh, one called Perform, which is uh, about his relationship between coaching and playing the piano he took up the challenge of learning the piano when he was at the university of cincinnati college conservatory of music and uh has spent a ton of time performing the master works of beethoven liszt chopin schumann and mozart so that's kind of wild sons of enablement right there and he also has another book uh that he's in the process of uh publishing here it's called lead about his training to conduct a professional symphony orchestra and the lessons of professional leadership and teamwork. He has spoken at uh, SUNY Cortland's commencement ceremony. Uh, He has also uh, done a ton of different seminars speaking, uh, whether it's for the NFL. Uh, He did one at Florida State. He's done uh, presentations at Iowa, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Indiana, uh, Sirius XM, satellite radios, uh, corporate, and then uh, Glacier Clinics, which is another uh, organization there. So this was an incredible time with Coach Alexander. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, Coach Alexander. We are joined by Coach Paul Alexander. Um, Coach Alexander has had 36 years of NFL coaching experience. He was also an academic All-American football player. His coaching experience ranged from Penn State, the University of Michigan, Central Michigan, and then on to the NFL where he coached with the Jets, and then 23 years with the Cincinnati Bengals. 2017 pro football focus ranked his offensive line number one statistically in pass protection over the 11 year life of their measure. Also in 2017, once again, recognized by the sports illustrated as the top offensive line coach in the business and named to their dream team coaching staff. Then in 2018, he joined the Dallas Cowboys where they were top five in rushing coach. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're fantastic. We're good. Fired up to have you. How have you been hanging in there, uh, you know, first and foremost with the virus? Where are you? How have you been uh, staying hunkered down in this crazy time? Uh, everything's great for our family. I live in Cincinnati. That's where we chose to retire. We've been there so long. Um, and everything is safe in Ohio. Our governor shut us down early and uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of controlled the virus pretty well. We're very happy with that. 
Uh, just this week, I started to go out a little bit. I've uh, California and Texas and start working with kids a little bit and uh, being very safe. I'm impressed the airlines have done a great job, I thought, uh, making air flights safe. And uh, But I got to get out. I got to work with players. I got to coach. I mean, I can't sit at home. I can only watch so much freaking Tiger King. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> I got you. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Coach, uh, we want to thank you for your time. And, uh, you know, obviously, you have an incredible amount of experience at both uh, the NFL and the collegiate level. Uh, right off the bat, how would you describe your coaching style? Um, my, my coaching style evolved, to be honest with you. Um, when I first started coaching, I was very influenced by Bo Schembechler, who was the head coach at Michigan. Bo would be characterized as a technician coach, um, very strong, driving, uh, fundamentals, uh, not much scheme, technique over fundamentals. And then when I came in the NFL with the New York Jets, I met with a sports psychologist who's uh, out of the University of Princeton, who spent his life studying coaching styles. And I analyzed my coaching style through his work and found out I wasn't a technician personality at all. I was a, actually a searcher is what I was defined as. So my coaching style has evolved over time into becoming what I believe I am. And uh, I, I found that I did better talking through with players, more seminar style relationships, um, and trying to get inside their heads and developing techniques that fit each individual player different uh, than having a certain set of techniques. Um, So that would be my coaching style and we're all different. And uh, the important thing I think in all of this is whatever style your personality is, is what you should be and not, copy the coach as I did with coach Schembechler. Don't copy the coach that you admire. Find out who you are and develop that. And I'm, I'm sure you were, uh, you got to learn under some extremely impressive and historic coaches. I mean, uh, coach Schembechler is, uh, is one of them right off the bat. But uh, you started off your coaching career with some stints at Penn State and Michigan. And obviously, the Big Ten is a great place to start for finding and developing offensive line talent. But what made you choose a long-term NFL career over a uh, a college career? Uh, It kind of came to me. Uh, I really wanted to be a college coach. And I never really thought I was going to be an NFL coach. My gosh. And uh, Uh, I was coaching at Central Michigan, the offensive line, my first full-time job, and we had kind of annihilated Michigan State, who at that time was number three in the country, and they were a powerhouse, and we ran for more yards on them than Coach George Perlis had ever given up in his entire career. So I guess I became a hot commodity and was hired by the New York Jets, and uh, I just did it. My career found me. And I believe that, you know, there's a lot of coaches that spend a lot of time networking and promoting themselves. And I just kind of felt that it was important to network, but it was important just do a great job and people would come to you. And then in the NFL, uh, you coached some 
unbelievably, incredibly talented players. Andrew Whitworth, Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, Travis Frederick, just to name a few. So when you're in the NFL, you you get these players and they're very much developed. They're older. How do you go about ensuring that you get the most out of these players while also continuing development at the professional level? Uh, When I worked with an older player, I would tell them, okay, I'm not going to teach you my techniques now. I'm just going to watch you. And I would go through several days and just watch them. And I would see something that I thought could help them. And I'd say, hey, just give this a try, would you? You know, and uh, yeah, they'd, uh, they'd try it. And inevitably, it wouldn't work because they weren't used to it. And I'd say, that's okay. Forget about it. Maybe, maybe we'll try it again some other time. And a couple of weeks later, I'd say, hey, why don't you give that a try one more time? You know, and then eventually they all did it. They all did everything I taught. Where a lot of coaches, they'll get a veteran player who's a terrific athlete and they'll say, no, we're doing it this way. This is how we do it. And forget it. That's not how you deal with premier professional athletes. Uh, Because as a coach with a premier professional athlete, your job is to help them develop and grow. And within them, and uh, that's kind of the way I approached it. And I think that's the way you work with those guys, really. For sure. And then in your time in Cincinnati, uh, a stat that just blew me away here was you saw 14 1,000-yard rushers behind your offensive lines. And you know, common footballology that you hear all the time is it's in summer camp and it's in spring ball in college where you really kind of get a sense as to what kind of unit you have. Over those 14 years and those other years that, you know, that year in Dallas where you had a special team that had a great offensive line, what are the signs or the telltale kind of signals that show you that you have a great group together, not just a good individual player playing in one position, but a good core um, that'll put together a great season? Uh, We were lucky because in Cincinnati, I was together for so long. I was the line coach there 23 years and we were able to develop players and the older guys could teach the younger guys. And it was just like a constant reloading of new players in the system. And they developed a a camaraderie, they developed a group. And uh, we insisted that everything they did was alike with each other so that the timing was right and so forth. But that building of the group, the camaraderie, is really important. And it happens as much as anything in the scouting process that, that you want selfless guys, team oriented guys, tough guys will work hard, you know, guys that uh, hang out together and are buddies with the other linemen. And those are all things you're looking for. You know, I would get guys who love football. I would go through the scouting process and I'd ask a question. I'd say, okay, name for me, your all pro offensive line. And some guys will go ahead and say, well, I like Tyron Smith, you know, but then again, Joe Thomas, maybe I'd pick Joe Thomas over Tyron Smith. I don't, well, it'd be tough, you know, maybe. And, you know, that guy you knew understood and enjoyed offensive line, but you'd say to some other guys and you'd say, these are college guys. You say, okay, who's the best left tackle in football? And they'd say, "Um, well, I don't really know. And immediately it's like, no, you're not my kind of guy because they model themselves if you don't model yourself after someone, how can you become that someone? And uh, I think that's, 
that's it. So, so I was always looking for guys who love football. Many years I drafted the toughest guy in the draft. And that uh, was important to me. You know, dedication, toughness, selflessness, self-discipline, you know, caring about others. And then from there, you put that group of guys together and typically you mold a pretty good offensive line. So coach, we, uh, we stay pretty connected with the Virginia Tech community and the Virginia Tech offense incorporates the jet sweep a lot and it draws a lot of controversy when it doesn't go well, but also it's a huge factor in our run game for positive plays. Analytically speaking, from an offensive line coaching perspective, why uh, why is the jet sweep an advantageous set? Uh, well, the jet sweep, you know, obviously puts pressure on the defense because they got to play the whole field. You know, that if they hunker down inside too much, uh, you know, they'll get out and around you. Um, and it forces the defense because typically you don't block the defensive end and you force the defensive end to play assignment football rather than just teeing off. Those are good things. Because when you can get the defense to play assignments rather than teeing off, then you can typically block them better on running pass on regular plays. The other thing is that when the threat of the perimeter running game is there, then it opens up your inside running game. So I know it's there's a lot of colleges that major in the jet sweep, and it's a I think it's a great offense. It's exciting. Um, it forces all the holes of the field, and uh, um, I like it. And you know what? You said that when it doesn't work that you get criticized. Well, you know what? There's not an offense you run where you don't get criticized. And when you start listening to the fans, when you start listening, you know, to uh, uh, Billy and Pat, you know, on the podcast, (laughs) ripping them for this play or the other thing, then, then, you know, it's time to turn off the podcast. I was going to say also, it's not always about whether it works or not. It's more so making sure the defense is honest and and respecting the option that it could be handed off or um, play, making sure their gap sound. So a loss of two is not always a, Oh, well this didn't work. It's could be setting up something else. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) So um, coach, your MO is all about leaving your comfort zone. And uh, I read that one of the ways that you did that was taking on the challenge of learning the piano. Now, how would taking on this challenge, like learning the piano or some other type of trade, make you a better coach? You know what, NFL coaches, we got nowhere to go. If you're a high school coach, you go to a college clinic. If you're a college coach, you go learn from an NFL coach. If you're an NFL coach, who do you learn from? Well, you learn from watching NFL players and getting in great players' minds and developing kind of the thought of progressive techniques and schemes, but where else do you learn it? Well, I'm, you, you, I think you find inspiration other places. So what happened is my daughter was in fourth grade. She's an excellent musician. She just graduated from the Berkeley College of Music in Boston, which is for jazz and modern music, the top conservatory in the world. So she's an extremely talented girl. But when she was in fourth grade, she was given to study with the world-famous performing concert pianist from Austria. But he was so talented, and his accent, he kind of scared her. And she wanted to quit piano lessons. And I said, no, 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 no. I tell you what, I'll take a half an hour, and you take a half an hour. We'll do it together as a father-daughter thing. 
Well, it obviously turned out good for her. And uh, it turned out good for me. I mean, I've produced a CD. I play in front of crowds. I, I've become a, an accomplished pianist. And it, before age 48, I really hadn't done it. But as much as anything, I got in the mindset of an elite performer at a very difficult trade and what goes through their mindset, how they learn and how they actually get up on stage and perform. And that was so important to me because I was able to translate those lessons I learned from them and apply it to elite performers because that's what I do. I like to say I learned how to play the piano for one reason, one reason only. And that reason was to become a better football coach. And uh, it worked for me that way. And I wrote a book on it. You know, the book's called Perform. You can get it on Amazon. And it talks about how if you're a salesman, how do you pick up that phone and make the cold call when you don't really know the person and you think they're going to say no and hang up on you? How do you do that? How do you get the energy to do it? And how do you actually pull it off? So I think there's parallels in elite performers in every aspect of life that we can learn from each other. You know, speaking of parallels, Billy and I are both uh, in the software sales space. So that's uh, that's funny that you <laughs> that you bring that up. But uh, kind of segueing over here, uh, we want to hear about your international ventures. I know you said um, you spend a lot of time coaching international prospects. And I know uh, you're getting out and meeting with prospects now in Texas and California uh, since um, you've been able to travel a little bit more. But uh, what led you to go and travel the world and especially um, I know you've spent some time in Germany. Uh, what led you to gr- go across the pond and help develop players over there? Uh, let me tell you, when I retired from coaching over a year ago, um, I said, you know, I loved coaching, um, but I want to share the game with as many people as I can now. And, uh, and that's taken me to hundreds of high schools, uh, Power five football uh, coaching staffs. Um, it's taken me to Germany twice, London, uh, Scotland, Australia. It's taken me all over the world teaching football and sharing the game. And I absolutely love it. Um, I'm on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach Paul Alex. And I have thousands of tweets on there with thousands of followers where I tweet football techniques and plays. And I also tweet my perspectives on life, which are obtuse, maybe. And uh, I enjoy doing that. And I don't know. I was try. I wanted to try that for a year because I had a year left on my contract after the Cowboys. I retired from there, and I wanted to see if I could do that for a year and enjoy it. And what happened, to be honest with you, I had an, a heart attack last fall, and it was one of those widowmaker heart attacks where ninety five percent of us die. And somehow, by the grace of God and the help of tremendous surgeons, they saved my life. And when I woke up and I sat there and it was right at that time when I was trying to decide whether I wanted to continue on this consulting path or get back into the coaching rat race, I said, there's no way. I, I, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm enjoying it. And uh, because of that, my goal 
is to not take any football knowledge with me. Now, football coaches are famous. They tell you what they want you to know at a clinic or a camp or other coaches, but they don't tell you the good stuff. The good stuff they keep to themselves. And they all end up taking it to their graves, you know? And I'm like, no, my goal before I die is to share everything I learned with whoever will listen. And um, that's kind of been my mission, and I'm really enjoying it. And on top of that, sharing the game of football with people all over the globe is something that's admirable. What is the perception of football uh, you know, in Germany or in Europe uh, from a more broad perspective? You know, each country in Europe has a professional football league. You probably don't know that. Germany has a professional football league. Sweden has one. Denmark has one. France has one. England has one. Italy has one. They all have a professional football league. And believe it or not, the people in Germany, they really like American football. You know, they... uh, uh, because that's where I've been. They follow it. They know the draft. They know the players. It's unbelievable. Now, they don't know. They don't have the detailed coaching that we have here, of course. So the players are raw. You know, they really don't. They know some fundamentals. But one thing that's like, here's a true story. I go over there, and a kid went to block the guy. And I said, what technique are you using? He said, I'm using my blocking technique. I said, are you using a run blocking technique or a pass blocking technique? He says, my technique. I use my technique. I go, no, no, no. You got a different run blocking technique. You got a different pass blocking technique. And in the run blocking techniques, there's about 20 different run blocking techniques. And in the pass blocking, there's probably about 10 different pass blocking techniques. And he just looked at me like confused. Well, that's where they're at. They, they, they know the basic fundamentals, but they don't know the nuances. And um, I'm really enjoying, I work virtually with a number of kids from Europe where I'm coaching them virtually. I give them a series of drills, you know, and they perform the drills, they videotape themselves, they send them back to me. And I coach them up and uh, I, that's what I do. And uh, I think once they can get there, uh, then the great game's going to grow even more in Europe. So in this segment of your, of your coaching career, you're really kind of drawing back to, or I assume you're drawing back to your experience in college where, you know, you have these raw athletes who may not be as developed, but um, have certain skill sets that interest you. When you do look for potential as an offensive lineman, what are the qualities and the tangibles, both mentally, mentally and physically, that you search for in an in offensive lineman? I have a series of traits. I call them Achilles heels traits, meaning the guy has to pass at least a satisfactory level in each trait. I compare, and I'm talking about looking for great players, right? If if a guy can hit the fastball great but can't hit the curveball, well, he's not a major league baseball player. He's a minor league baseball player. If the guy can handle every move except the bull rush, then he's perhaps a good football player, but he's not an NFL player. And so by scaling that appropriately, I would do the same thing for the levels of a 
college guy or a pro guy or what have you. So I'd look at flexibility. I'd look at strength. I'd look at toughness, competitiveness, football intelligence, um, change of direction and recovery, uh, competitive maturity. Uh, so I have a whole list of those kind of things, physical traits of height, weight, and speed. Um, and they really have to check the boxes in each one. And if once a guy checked the boxes and all the minimum requirements, then I was able to find out just how good he was, you know, cause there's a certain line where there's a make it line and you got to check all the boxes to get to the make it line, you know, and then you decide how good are they uh, beyond that. Absolutely. And then a, 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 a common theme on our podcast the last few weeks is talking about the, transferable skills that you can acquire from other sports. Um, we had uh, Matias Carroll on a couple weeks ago. He was a wrestler and Trey Turner, he played basketball. Are there any sports if uh, that you think if a kid wants to get better at offensive line, what other sports do you think that translate well into making you a better offensive lineman? First of all, I think a kid should play three sports. I think a kid should play three sports and through the summer, and not just play football and not just lift weights all year round. When I would go to the combine and interview these guys getting ready for the NFL, almost to a man, all the good ones, the guys who were drafted in the first three rounds, I'd say, well, what sports did you play in high school? And they'd say, oh, football, basketball, track, or football, wrestling, baseball, or whatever. Not very often you get the athlete that said, oh, yeah, I just played football. Um, because if you're a good enough athlete, the coach is going to talk you into playing the other sports, you know, and uh, you should play all the sports because there is cross training effect between sports. Undoubtedly true. I played football, wrestling, baseball. That's what I played. And I did some track, not running. <laughs> and, uh, and I found really, I was a terrible basketball player. I used to, I, I started one game in junior high and I fouled out by halftime. You know, I could, I was terrible. All right. But wrestling to me is probably the best sport for an offensive lineman because you learn how to use a defender's momentum against you and you learn body balance and positioning, which are really the hardest things to teach and block. So as we, as we transition here uh, to the last subject here, we want to talk about Daniel Miletic, uh, the commitment from Germany, who we don't obviously have a ton of film on, six foot three, 290 pounds, did get to see him do a little bit of one-on-one without pads on. And in his commitment, where we originally um, you know, decided to reach out to you, he mentioned, I also want to thank Coach Paul Alexander for trusting in me and my abilities in putting his name on the line uh, for recommending me to college. So I was curious, how did you first come into contact with Daniel uh, all the way in Germany? Well, there's a guy over there, Brandon Collier. Brandon Collier, PPI recruits, does a tremendous job finding the best kids in Europe that have the potential to play football. Um, And then we're looking at the physical ability you know, the size, the strength, the speed, you know, agility, those kind of things. And he goes around and he invited me to come work with him, you know, in Germany. And he's been my contact in Germany, in Australia. 
And uh, so I went over there and went around with them. Now, one thing we need to understand, because there's a lot of college and there's a lot of American college coaches that don't trust international kids. They're like, oh, whatever. You know, let me tell you, there's 3 million Americans. There's 7 million Europeans. Okay. Add Australia onto there. Add Canada on there. Add Mexico onto there. You're talking about nine or 10 million people, right? There's three times the number of people internationally, not even counting Asia, right, than there are in the United States. If you think you can't find a couple talented people when you're outnumbered three to one, then you're not working at it, in my opinion, right? So I go over and I, and I worked out, I worked with 20 kids this year that are division one commits, five-star recruits, four-star recruits, right? And then I, I found the best of the kids in Europe from Brandon. And in that group of all those kids that I worked with, right? I'd say I worked with, I probably saw 30 kids that I think are legitimate D1 players. And in that group of kids, Danigel, is in that top five of those kids. You guys are getting a special player now. If he played at Cincinnati Moeller High School, he would be a five-star recruit. And he would have Alabama, Notre Dame, Texas, Oklahoma, Penn State, you name it. He would have every, every one of their scholarships offered to him. That's the kind of talent he is. He's the guy that when I saw him, I was like, wow. And he's taller than 6'3". He's 6'4". And uh, I saw a guy with rare combination of quickness, athleticism, strength, arm length, strong hands, balance, recovery, and toughness. He's got it all. I mean, I, 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 I'm so excited that uh, – uh, you know, that he was able to do that. And it took a little bit of convincing some college coaches. And thank God, uh, Vance Weiss, who I've known for a long time, uh, we talked. And I, I told him just what I said about that. I said, I started shooting off names of great uh, blue chip high school kids. I said, okay, he is better than so-and-so. I've worked with them both. I'm telling you, in front of my eyes, I've seen it. And um, hopefully, I told Danishel, if he if he screws us up, I'm going to have to choke him. You know what I mean? Or he, <laughs> he can't because we put our, our name out there. You know what I mean? And he won't. He's gonna, he is very committed, and uh, he can't wait for the opportunity. That's fantastic. I mean, we love to hear that. And, and again, like you were saying, it's very uh, – it's high praise to put your name – uh, attach your name to a to a kid or even a college coach attach their name to a recruit uh, a prospect for the draft because again it's your entire reputation so I just was curious as to how does that conversation come about with coach Vice I actually played for coach Vice for a year um, a renaissance man much like yourself um, just curious how your relationship is and and how that conversation comes about uh, well, he he was at uh, uh, Illinois State when I knew him. I did a, a lineman camp, Midwest lineman camp, that was always at Illinois Westland down the road. 
and he came over and worked my camp a couple of times. So that's where I got to know him. And then, shoot, I just called him. <laughs> that's really more than that. And we talked. That's incredible to hear. Aside from uh, Danny Gell's intangibles, intangibles that he has on the field, you know, we'd love to get to know him on a personal level at some point. But what uh, can you speak to his personality and his off the field characteristics that uh, you know make uh, him guess, a five star? My guess uh, before he graduates from Virginia Tech that he's going to be the captain of the team. That's the type of kid he is. He is bright and dedicated and tough and mature. He has the maturity of a 25-year-old, you know, and he just has uh, his body's physically mature and his personality's mature and he's dedicated. And uh, he has the type of personality that people flock to, not in a friendly way. I mean, yes, in a friendly way, not but not in a buddy-buddy way, more in a way that the guys will respect him. I told Vance this. I said, unless you've got an unusual guy in your room, and he said, we do have one, who's just the toughest, meanest guy. I said, this kid will be the toughest guy in your room, you know, unless you got an unusual guy. And Vance said he does have one. I don't know who that is. It wasn't Billy Mitchell. He kind of said Billy Mitchell was soft. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been in that room in a while. <laughs> So, uh, so coach, I know you had mentioned earlier about those 20 or so division one prospects. Um, who are some of these other offensive line prospects that you've coached and mentored uh, over the last year or two that uh, we should be looking out for at the next level? Just a couple names that uh, are going to stand out. Uh, I'm working with, uh, uh, I guess I can say that I am working with, uh, Tommy Brockemeyer down and, and uh, James Brockemeyer down here in uh, Dallas this week. Uh, those two guys are five stars. You know, they've been, uh, I think they're probably going to go to Alabama. Um, I'm, uh, oh shoot, I work with uh, Landon Tangwall from Maryland, who's going to Penn State. I work with El Hadid in Detroit, who's going to Michigan. Um, I've worked with, uh, uh, I would say those are the names of the very top guys uh, that I'm thinking. I'm going to forget about 10 of them, but that's probably the ones. That, oh, I'm working with Jacob Sexton from Little Oklahoma, Deer Creek, Oklahoma. I'm working with him these next couple of days as well. And he's he's got them all, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, whatever. And, uh, oh, I worked with uh, uh, the other kid from Serbia. I worked with Ilya, who's at IMG Academy, who committed to Boston College. Um, I've worked with a lot of really good players, and I kind of enjoy that. I like working with a guy who – these are the guys I love to work with. I like working with a guy who his whole life has been the best guy in the team the best guy in his conference, the best guy in his league, and no one ever really challenged him. And so they kind of get away with just kind of slopping through stuff. And I love looking him in the eye and says, hey, uh, I coach guys that are going to the Hall of Fame. I said, you, by comparison, suck. I mean, just so you know, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> and it kind of, and they need that. They need somebody to help push them to the next level because they don't get it from the guys that they compete against every day in practice or in games. So I really enjoy that. Coach, we really enjoyed uh, your time this afternoon and, and, and can't thank you enough. And uh, that's great to hear um, that you're helping Virginia Tech get better and helping us find some great talent overseas. Our punter is from Australia. So uh, keeping that international pipeline flowing. And obviously, thank you for doing such a great job for the game um, at this uh, after you moved on from coaching uh, or moved on from professional coaching. Before you do go, I wanted to give you a chance. We actually uh, signed up here on your website, uh, on your Patreon here. There's some great stuff. I was checking it out, the coaching tube and some of the writing that you have on there. I just want to give you an opportunity to plug what you have going on and where people can read more of, uh, of uh, Coach Paul Alexander's works. Yeah, first of all, you can follow me on Twitter, at Coach Paul Alex. Thousands of tweets, you know, on football content. And then Twitter became not big enough where I couldn't really explain myself in detail the way I wanted. So I started Patreon. Patreon is a platform, which not many people know about, but it's a platform for, uh, we call ourselves thought leaders. To me, that's kind of like a kind of uh, uh, arrogant statement. You know what I mean? But that's kind of what we are. And, And what I do is I do clinics, I do detailed descriptions, I do whole full courses on concepts of football. And really, those things can be expensive. But or if you get a lot of followers, they can throw in a couple bucks a month, and they can uh, all learn. So so that's what I do. And it's patreon.com, Coach Paul Alexander. And um, I enjoy that. Like I say, everything I know about football, if I'm able, I'm going to share, and uh, that's how I'm doing it. Well, Coach, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. We'll definitely link that to the podcast as well, and uh, hope you stay well and keep spreading the game and uh, helping kids achieve their dreams. Okay, Thanks, guys. Coach. Go Hokies, I guess. That's what you say, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, sir. Yes, exactly sir. Go right. Hokies. Go Hokies. Okay. Bye-bye. Right.